gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people. If you know they solid, elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that sh that everybody voucher. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. Yo, 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 welcome back to the greatest show on earth, the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I am your gracious host, Xavier Miller. And before we start this episode, I would like to advise all the watchers and the viewers to please like, subscribe, hit that five-star rate and review. We're trying to run those numbers up, getting ready for 2024. So if y'all could do all those things, we would greatly appreciate it. And getting right into the show, y'all know I don't like to waste no time. I like to get straight to it. I got a super... Super dope guest, and I don't say that lightly. When we've been talking about bringing her on the show for it's been a minute now, so to finally have her in the studio to get it done, I'm extremely excited. She's an SEC attorney, she's an Olympian, just a dope person that's doing amazing, amazing things. Like I said, warm welcome for Levon Idolette. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. I'm glad I said that right. So, welcome to the show. I'm super glad to have you here. I'm super glad to be here, although. Dallas is much colder than my expectations. I can't yeah, it's, it's, it'd be up, and, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be up and down like that, man. It, it was just, it was kind of like seventy last week, and then the past couple of days, it just, I don't know what happened. It just dropped. It's, it's a messed up thing. So let's, <laughs> let's get right into it. So for the people, this may be their first time seeing you, hearing you. They might have been stuck under a rock, not paying attention to what's going on in the world. Give some brief background on yourself. Let the listeners know who you are. Yeah. So I'm Levon Idolette. I am. I was uh, an Olympic athlete. I did track and field. I went to the 2012 Olympics, ran 100-meter hurdles. Um, at the same time, I was in law school, so I now do securities law. And I run a consortium of companies that help you be a wealth keeper and um, accelerator. So what that means is I help you put together the foundations of things, such as trusts and holding companies, but also create wealth acceleration tools like fund syndications and the things that allow you to raise capital and be an abundant giver. So mm. set up those foundations because you need all of those things to preserve and grow your wealth. Mm. Let's take it back for a second. So how did you even the start to get into all of that? Because that's very, that's, that's, that's crazy to get into. <laughs> So the true story is, is that like my dad thinks he's the brain and that I'm pinky. So mm, pinky in the brain. as okay. I was growing up, my father's a developer and he would say like, go get this license, go do this. I think you should study this. I think you should go and do these things from, from high school. And, um, that's how I got involved starting with real estate and that sort of thing very young. And then after I finished law school, I, uh, met a mentor that told me, like, I like what you're doing with real estate, but I think you could do it at a higher level, took me to a conference. And that conference, the lady told me that everything I was doing was cute, which is like one to five million dollar deals, and that she would give me money if I did something over $80 million. And I said, that she said she would give you money if you yeah. did something over eighty million. So I said, first of all, I was too calm. So obviously, I'm missing something, <laughs> and it made me dive very deep in learning what securities were, um, how to raise capital, and how to how the top top families in the world were protecting and growing their wealth. So let's get let's get right into it. What you be what you saying that because th these are things I'm extremely I've always been interested in. So how do the top families grow and maintain their wealth? Because a lot of families they say the, the statistics say like uh, most wealthy families lead, uh, lose their wealth in one or two generations. Mm -hmm. So the ones that's able to keep it, how are they doing it? 
Yeah, so a good amount of it is they're protecting the the wealth from future bad decisions. So that's putting things in trust and on, and having trustees that know what's going on and allowing only distributions of the the um, what the money is making versus like letting the balance decline. That's number one. Number two is they are co-investing with each other, participating in each other's deals so that they can make above market returns and just grow at a steady pace. So while, you know, the general public is putting their money in CDs, which is making 3%, high yield savings account right. making 4%, you have people who are doing deals that's making 16 to 25% annualized and is compounding over time. So their million dollars turns into $10 million while the average person's million dollars turns into a million and sixty dollars right. because it's been in a bank account okay. for ten years. That's so interesting. I met this guy from um he was like a descendant of the people that created Quaker Oats. Okay. And uh his there's like a billion dollar family, or whatever. And he was telling me, I, I wanna ask you like is this really a uh, comment? He was telling me that like in his family you don't be able you, you can't touch the money. It's like certain milestones or like ages. And it's not like young age, it's like fifty years old and stuff. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Fifty years old to touch some money? Is that like a common thing that like wealthy families do? Yes. Because think about the type of decisions you make at twenty one, at thirty with money. So they're yeah. giving you enough time to mature your desires. Uh, before allowing you to like take big chunks, and that's not to say that like most most um, most people's trusts are giving them a reasonable amount of money to live on, which like reasonable depends on your lifestyle. But um, the bigger part of that is just giving them time to mature and never, never de declining the balance. So the principle of the balance is never going to go down. They're only giving you what the money is making. Mm. How does because just for the audience and everybody that's listening, how does, like, specifically, how do trusts protect families and individuals and break down the difference between a trust and a will? Because I feel like a lot of people use those two things interchangeably. Yes. Okay, so a will is a document that tells a court what to do when someone dies. And the court gets to interpret which will should, should be effective and all that. Because a lot of people create a will, forget about it, make another one, and it'll be a bunch of different documents. And so you'll have a lot of people arguing in court and then the court system gets to decide. So I tell most people, if you have anything worth arguing over, you definitely want to have it in trust. And so when you have a trust, an irrevocable trust mm, owns the assets. You no longer own the assets. They're not inside of your estate. And the reason why people do that, especially with significant wealth, is they're trying to avoid um, like wealth tax, which is what has to be paid when you die for your descendants to get the money. So there is a maximum amount that you can do in your lifetime as a gift to others. And that number right now is $13,800,000. You so, can get that to somebody tax-free. Yes. Uh, above that, they'll be paying a death tax. And so imagine you thinking you're getting some great amount of money and when you uh, when it's First, you have to argue with people in court, probably for a year or so, if you have a will. Then it, the money's going to be taxed, and it creates a burden for your family. So when you have things in trust, it's literally a document that governs how your money will be invested, 
and distribute it to your heirs or your beneficiaries. And so those beneficiaries can, I mean, literally it can say whatever it wants per se because it's more or less a contract and we are free to contract however we right. want in America, but it has provisions like the trustee has discretion to give you a distribution. Why is that important? So like, let's say your kid gets married and is going through a divorce. And uh, in that divorce, he, they get lifetime alimony, not lifetime, that's too long. So let's say they get like alimony. alimony of some sort for five years. If you have a discretional trust uh, provision, they will, your trustee will know to not make a distribution in those years because the, your, the money that can be given away has to be in your possession uh, for the person. So now there's nothing to give. So the the premise of that, though, is you're protecting your wealth from it going out to future ex-wives and all that yeah. kind of stuff. That's and important. It's super important yeah. because you never know what kind of eventualities can happen. So a lot of people talk about the Kennedys and the Rockefellers and all that, but, like, most of their wealth was protected because you can get into a car accident and the judgment doesn't affect that family's wealth at all because it's on that person. If we don't make a distribution, there's no money to take. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, is, is trust only for wealthy people? No. So I, trusts are more expensive than wills are, right. but if you have anything worth arguing over, it's a good enough cause to have a trust it, that even if it just has paid on death benefits, so like, insurance policies uh, that are paid to the trust so that it's an easy transfer and it gives your it gives you a little bit more control, especially if you like, let's say you die and you have younger kids, right. um, you will have the control to say, I want to make sure that my kids are doing something productive with their lives and I don't want them to get $10 million at one time or a million dollars at one time. Um, because they'll self-destruct. No so, no you know, question. allowing them to get a reasonable amount of money and um, be sort of living in a way that you think is positive based on your ideas then. So it could be like, as long as they don't do drugs, as long as they go to college, as long as they are being a good citizen of the world, you know. So most people call that ruling from the grave, but a good piece of that is more or less just making sure that you're passing on the right ideas and transfer of knowledge to your kids as well as the money. Because mm, I say that all the time, it's generational wealth is definitely is education too because you could give somebody the money and that money could be gone within the general. Where I'm from, man, people blow, some money, they blow money so quick, it'd be gone in a summer. Yes. You have a good enough summer, all the money would be gone, for real. But that's why I tell people all the time, like, they try to denigrate when people get money and, like, oh, you know, you had it easy because somebody gave you money. I'm like, do you know how many people get money and blow and it? blow it? <laughs> like, literally, like, seem like, it seems, I don't know the statistics on this, but it seems like most people blow it. Yes. It's, it's definitely a much higher percentage of those that turn it into more money or, like, some great enterprise. That's crazy because I feel like in our, especially in the uh, black community, we have this thing, like, still to this day where we kind of, like, shit on people that come from money. It's like, it's more it's more honorable if you got it out the mud. Yeah. That's how we see it in a lot of, a lot of times. And I, and I question that every single time because if you tell me that you want to be the generational cur curse breaker, blah, 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 
but you talk trash about the person who grew up with money. You're basically talking trash about your future generations. <laughs> and so do you want them to have it or not? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When you put it like that, it don't make sense that people, when, they, when people do have those conversations and say stuff like that. Exactly. And I think that most of it is just people believe that they want to have like a trauma off or a struggle Olympics to say like, I got it a harder way than you. But like, is that admirable or should you just be happy that you survived and you made it and like yeah it, there are easier ways <laughs> yeah but, you know that, that's real and i know i know like uh family wealth and that's extremely important to you how do you think that is a um a undervalued topic within our community i think that managing maintaining and passing on knowledge and money is a super under talked about topic in our community but it also comes from the fact that, like, our community has sort of identified with being the impoverished. Damn. And so, like, if you are only seeing yourself as the people who live paycheck to paycheck or the people who um, are in a struggle class, then you can't ever have conversations around, like, what does it look like to make sure that everybody in my family has insurance on them? What does it look like to give the knowledge that you have and whatever that may be, it still has value even if you don't have the money per se, because a lot of people, cause I know a lot of people who have a lot of skill. Sometimes they're just not good business people. So they're yeah. like, they have messed the money up in some way. Yep. So now they think like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, but that level of knowledge can help the next person take that knowledge and apply some better business tactics to it and like turn it into something good. Why do you think, um, I'm generalizing, of course, when I say we. But why do you think we identify with that? You say because we identify with, like, the empowers mentality. So, that, so that's me media-driven. You think so? Yeah. So, like, the media very much makes poverty a blackface, which is very weird to me, considering that we have less people in this country than there are impoverished others. Exactly. Um, but, we you know, if it. you have to create a face— it is easier to make it the other than the majority. You think that's intentional? Yes. <laughs> I like the straightforward. I like the straightforward answers. I, I like it. I'm. I got my own opinions, and I believe so too. But I like. I love to hear other people's thoughts and opinions on it. Yeah, I love to have conversations with young people and tell them to stop identifying with struggles. Like you are not those things. And it's just like when I went to law school, people would always say like, oh, the bar passage rate is this at that school. You shouldn't go there. And I say, well, to be honest, everything is 100 percent or zero. So I'm either going to pass or fail. I don't what really do care what that? anybody else does. So you are either going to pass. That's 100 percent. Or you're going to fail. That's zero percent. What the other people do has absolutely nothing to do with you. So you have to focus on microeconomics to get macro change. So if I focus on myself, making my family better, and then helping others along the way, one by one, you then have a macro effect. But if you're like, oh, look at us. It's like 100 million of you and you, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, that, that's like an impossible task versus just being like, hmm, my father used to always say to me, Am I my brother's keeper? Of course I am. But my job to my brother is to make sure I take care of myself so he doesn't have to take care of me. And that Damn, that's a bar. is the the type of thinking that I try to push on kids. Like, just take care of yourself. You be accountable to you. And then you own that. 
and that energy passes on to others, and others will continue to do that as well. Mm. No, that, that was that was a bar, and I got I want I got some more I want to ask you because I know you work you be, you work with and been around a lot of like wealthy people and stuff like that. What like I'm trying to think of the way to ask this. What age typically are the, the the people that you're working with that's been around that are wealthy? What age are they typically? Like the age range, and it's the reason I'm asking this. Okay, so I work with both ends of the spectrum, so athletes, entertainers, okay. people who have sold companies, especially now because we're in the age of information. So we have way more people who are making money and they're like 19, age. 20 Facts. years old. Um, so that's one extreme, and the yeah. other extreme is like. People who have just like done something over time and it just like compounds and then they're like in their 60s. Right. And so we were we were actually joking about this this morning because I was at a conference last week and the main the main sponsor was a crypto coin. And in these spaces, if the average age of a wealthy person in this space is 65, they think crypto is BS. So for you to spend your, your money as a sponsor there, they're very much like. Who they thought yeah, was spending about that? Facts. <laughs> that's facts. No, that's facts. And I asked that because I think, um, I, like, I talk to a lot of people all the time, younger people, and it's like we have this idea that, like, we should have it by, like, 35. Yeah. Like, some people, I talk to so you won't believe the, the messages I get from people that's under 28. Yeah. They're like, man, my life is shit. I'm a failure because I don't got X this amount of money and I'm like yo what where do y'all get this idea that yeah. you're supposed to be wealthy by 30 from yeah I think that all everything is media driven for the most part especially like the pressure that young people put on themselves to have certain things by a certain time and I think it's super negative mainly because like in real life things take time to cultivate especially skill Facts. so like if you just spend time cultivating your skill Maybe it takes you a little bit longer, but it's fine. But at the end of the day, most of the people who you think got what they got don't. So <laughs> there's that. Say that. <laughs> Real talk. What? Uh, let me ask you this: We talk about being a uh, SEC lawyer for the for the watchers and viewers. What is an SEC lawyer? Yeah. So securities is when there's a common enterprise, which means one company, mm -hmm. and you are allowing others to participate in the profits without participating, which means that like you have a passive investor mm -hmm. and the passive investor expects to get a profit without doing anything. That's selling securities. A lot of people think that they can have solid investors and all that and they're just like, yeah, it's great. And I'm like, yeah, you probably are illegally selling securities. Um, whether it's debt or equity, it, they control both sides of the coin. And so um, I see a lot of shenanigans on the internet. Mm. And no. <laughs> Facts. Um, but most people haven't seen the extreme other side of what it looks like to get in trouble with the SEC. What you mean by that? Um, so you've illegally sold securities to somebody. They think they're your passive investor, whatever the case may be, friend, family. Friends and family complain faster than everybody else, yeah. by the way. So, you know, you took their money, no paperwork, no SEC filing, no nothing. And let's say you messed the money up. That happens all the time. There's actually nothing illegal about losing money. It's illegal to take people's money without giving disclosures on the risk. And that's all they are um, controlling. So we create the paperwork and do the filings with the SEC and FINRA to make sure that you are compliantly raising capital. And we only do um, exempt offerings. So exempt offerings is... Um, so 
a non-exempt offering would be like an IPO. Okay. Where you have to submit all this documentation. And it costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time. An exempt offering, you have some disclosures, which is known as like a private placement memorandum and a subscription agreement, anti-money laundering, because we can't take no funny money. Thanks. And um, and um, a suitability questionnaire, because you shouldn't take people's money if you don't know their financial situation. Mm. And then... You file um, a form depending on what type of exemption you want to use, and that's it. That's all you have to do, and you can go out and raise money. If you don't have those things in place, <laughs> you will void your exemption from having to file all the paperwork, and then they will pursue you, lock up your bank accounts, all kinds of things. They, really? they have real wide discretion as it pertains to um, protecting the public from people taking their money under false pretenses. So, yeah, you need paperwork. Everything in writing is true. Yeah. Everything else is your word against theirs. And if you are supposed to be the sophisticated person, they're going to use your words against you. Mm, that's true. That's, yeah. that's definitely true. How important, let me ask you this, because there's a lot of people online these days that's, that's raising money. Then you got people online that see somebody that's raising money. They're like, oh, they could, they could flip my money. I'm going to send them 50000 I'm going to send them 100000 How important is it for these individuals to have an advisor, a lawyer, before they do any deals with somebody they see online? Um, so number one, if you are not a paperwork reader, you should definitely have an attorney. And I think you should have an attorney either way just because the wording is built so that you may or may not understand all of the terms. And But mm. giving people money without doing due diligence is like running rampant in the world and due it's, diligence yeah. meaning just like you know who they are what they're doing what they intend to do with the money what they do with their normal money where they be hanging at where they live like y'all don't know anything about these people and you just wire money <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> and then be like they stole my money they scammed me you scammed yourself damn <laughs> because damn. at the end of the day we all have to be accountable to ourselves and when you decide it, and I, and I get it that, like, a lot of people are looking for the thing that is the hope that gets them yep. to the next level. Yep. But at the same time, most things that sound too good to be true with people who don't have a track record in the thing are definitely overly ambitious oh. and not um, based on reality because everything sounds good on paper. And this is what I tell people who are, like, academic. Academic people swear they, they the goats because... They have an MBA. They have a they have a finance degree, and I'm like, yeah, everything works on paper. Have you ever been in a business? How many of those clients that you had last year did you retain next mm. year? And if you retain them, what did you have to do to retain them? How much did it cost? And all those sorts of things. But in an MBA project, it just goes like this, no matter what, because I mean, there's there's no checks and balances to like real world scenarios. So. For people that's watching, right? So think of say they got somebody proposing them some business opportunities and like, oh, I could flip your money and get you twenty five percent in whatever time frame. What are some key indicators people should be looking for before they give anybody anything? Like what should be like the checklist to say this check, check, check? So number one, who is the person? Because great ideas don't matter. It's great execution. So if you want to know what have they done in the past, who's on the team, who is facilitating, who's working there day-to-day -to, -day to make sure it happens. Also, 
how much money are they raising? Is that enough money to actually do the thing? Because what I see the most in business is people are not raising enough money to actually do the thing. So they'll say like, this is how much money I need. And I'm like, yeah, well, did you think about closing costs and contingency fees and what if about run over and like running out of money is a death sentence in most. Facts. Um, That's how most businesses. Exactly. And so that that's step one, the people. You want to know about the people. Before you even look at the deal, you need to look at the people. And once you say, okay, I trust the people a little bit, then you look at the deal. And then you want to make sure that the math is mathing. Most people's math ain't mathing. So that is a clear, like, if you can't, in hypothetical world, which is just like your pro forma, make the numbers add up, is no way in real life it's going to happen. So that's, that's red flag number two. Red flag number three is, well, then you go down to like feasibility in terms of like what's going on in the world. Is this the right vehicle to be in? Like a person could be like, I got the best idea and I think we should go out and like build new newspapers. And you're like, who reads newspapers? It's 2023. Who doing <laughs> right, right, right. But so you need to kind of have a little bit of foresight in where the world is going and stuff like that. And whether that opportunity is a growing opportunity or it's just something that like the worst part about the age of information is I swear that people refuse to Google in advance. So like I get pitched things all the time and I'm like, but that already no, exists. Right, right. That already exists. Like I'm gonna put together a thing and the people gonna be able to pick you up in front of your house. <laughs> that app exists already. Oh, we've been here for a minute. Right. But it it literally be that level of like, so you didn't you didn't do any research. It's just like when a person tells you they have no competition. Maybe not directly, but there is no way that you are, you are, maybe you shouldn't feel yourself this much to believe that you are so smart that nobody else has thought about a single thing that's in this realm. Mm. And I want to, I want to talk about raising capital for a second, because like you just mentioned, most businesses fail at the end of the day because they don't have enough money. Mm -hmm. And this is something that you've been doing, you do on a high level. So how can these businesses, whether they're small businesses, decent-sized business, get out here and raise more money? Yeah, so, okay, so I am sort of, I'm not going to say I'm anti-raising money for a business. It's just harder. My general suggestion to most people is that you need to be raising money as a co-investment to a a business, like an asset. So what that means is like you can allow somebody to participate in your intellectual property of some sort. So like, let's say you own a patent and you're going to license it out. You would have an entity that owns that patent and they can participate in, in that. And your company owns some and their company owns some and you divvy it out. It's much easier for you to raise capital on a specific thing than it is like your business growth for the future. Um, at least from my standpoint, because venture is much harder to raise for than private equity or private debt, just because there is a specific thing that you're asking for money for. So like this building exists Mm -hmm. and you can say, all right, I already own a business and me and my, my business is going to be a partner in purchasing this building. You can get investors to line up to give you money for that because the, the building is a thing that exists already and it has the ability to have numbers that make sense, not not in like future conception. And so it's easy to raise money for that versus like I have an idea of a business, a business that will exist in the future. Like people have to bet on you too much for that. 
That's that, no, that's that's some heavy game because that's something that people always want to know, especially today. If yeah. like I could get out here and raise some money for this idea or business I got, so that's definitely um, some good information for people to take. Let I want to ask you what would what would you say? Like you you've been done some great things on a high level, but I want to ask you what's been your biggest regrets? Ooh, um, okay, so I'd say my biggest regret was. When the downturn happened in the housing market, in the housing market in 2008, um, I had just I was flipping houses before that. I had a mortgage, I had a mortgage license and um, I was running track and I was in school. So I, I, I was like, OK, this is my like little time to do nothing, more or less. I think that was a mistake because the opportunities to buy in South Florida were so great. Like you couldn't give the properties away, like $10,000 houses in Opelika that are worth $600,000 now, like that level from 2009 to 2014. There was just not a lot of activity. And I worked in the bankruptcy court um, from 2011 to 2014. So I saw the Everything. amount of people just like, they got to get out of there, like, because the worst thing that can happen, and most people don't think about it this, in this way, because if somebody's willing to give you the money, most people just take the money, right? So you buy these houses, lots and lots and lots and lots of houses, because you can get access to the capital. But if they don't have a cash flowing machine someplace else, like a job or a business that creates money, you end up living on the rents. Well, what happens when the rents don't come in and you owe a mortgage? Their, your your house of cards starts tumbling Sorry, really yeah. fast. Quick. And so, or you'll have like, oh, there was, you own a house in Chicago, they got leaks and, and frozen pipes and all that kind of stuff. Your tenants do not care about your cash flow. You got to fix those pipes today. Yep. And so all of that was creating these like snowballs because people were getting approved to own lots of things without having like that financial background on the other side. And so I was watching people's entire portfolios go into bankruptcy and it was such a big opportunity there that I just like watched as opposed to like participating. But that's crazy. You said 10 and Open Locker they had ten thousand dollar homes. Listen, in two thousand twelve. Like it was literally and then, you know, they op wild. they opened an Amazon over there. So that always sorts of sort of what like the? bolsters an area, but that's like unbelievable for real. Yeah. Ten thousand dollar homes in South Florida. Man, South Florida was so cheap when I moved there. Like it was literally what people think Texas is now. Like South Florida, when I moved there in two thousand seven, it was a cheap place to live and it was beautiful. And now it's the most expensive place Everybody in the country. Go there. It's ridiculous. What's the uh What's the, do you think, what's the pros and cons of living in South Florida? And I'm asking this because I was thinking about moving there before I moved to Texas. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, man, it's so lit out there. I won't be able to stay focused. Yeah. So pros and cons. Pros. You can fly anywhere in the world direct from three airports. So you got a lot of options. And for for the low, for real. Like we, the Caribbean, $120 you can get in there. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, Facts. So that's, that's a positive. Second positive is if you are a marginally good business person, you'll do great because Why? everybody's terrible. They don't call you back. They don't show up. Everybody has an excuse, but that's going to fall into my con side because birds of a feather flock together. 
which means when you're in New York, you behave like a New Yorker. You show up on time. You're always urgent about getting business done. South Florida is filled with people who are doing a little bit of funny things, a little bit of fugazi things, and they're all like, oh, so you ain't going to brunch? You're not going to sit on the beach? And that becomes the attitude the of everybody. So they're figuring out how to finesse versus like showing up and being good business people. So if you're just a regular good business person, you're like crush. That's crazy. But that makes so much sense because it shows you how, like, your the environment in any situation can influence not only you, but the whole, Listen, like, everybody there. At, there's an exodus to South Florida. Lots of businesses there moved are? there. Like, like from Leaving? New York. No, no, no. To, coming, coming to okay, Florida okay, okay, from yeah, yeah. New York, California, all that. Right. And everybody's like, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great texting. And I'm like, it's going to be terrible. You guys have no idea what it's like to be a person who expects a lot because you were in New York, you were in Silicon Valley, things happen, people move fast, and then like everybody shows up to your late to your meetings and or they don't show up, no call, no show. And you're like you'll have your top talent now turn into those people mm. because they're in the, they're in the elevator in their buildings and the person like they're dressed up and everybody else has on night clothes and they walk in their dog at ten o'clock in the morning. Right. They're like and you, now you're like what am I doing? I'm doing? living life wrong. Just like you said, the young people say, I'm not doing yeah, this right. Okay. Why I don't got a Bugatti? <laughs> no, no. South Florida will make you, it makes you feel like you're retired. That's why I tell people when I go, I'm like, I can't stay here for too long because I feel like I'm retired already. I'm kicking it. That's just the vibe of the whole like area. It just feels so relaxed and chill. And that's why I create so many scammers because people want to figure out how to be rich without Get more being for less. rich. Yeah. yeah. That's that 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 man that, that that makes so much sense. I never put it into the uh, perspective before. I want to go back to uh, trust for a second. So break down like the different kind of trust because I know people usually when they mention trust they hear ir irrevocable trust. I know a lot of people are aware of that. Yeah. What are other kinds of trust that people can get? Yeah. So there are only two types of trust from that regard: okay. revocable and irrevocable. And so there are lots of revocable types, but revocable just means that it can be changed at any time irrevocable once it's created you can't change, you can't change it um, the beneficiaries could go through a process of getting some of the provisions changed if they all agree um, and it stays within the spirit of what the grantor which is the person who created the trust has but generally once it's set up it's set up and that's it and the trustee's whole job is to make sure that everything in those wishes are carried out that the investments are done a certain way, that the distributions are done a certain way. and um, But with revocable, the the thing that makes me angry is because they talk about trust like it's like oh, this or that, but it's really a contract. So you have a lot of flexibility inside of it. But the one thing about revocable trust is it's not an asset protection tool. It's a privacy tool. So... If you have things in a revocable trust, not only do you, you still pay taxes on it because it's still in your estate, but you also still um, are liable for the things that happen with that property personally mm. because it's still yours. It's still yours. Is that where the saying, um, own nothing, control everything comes from? That is what an irrevocable trust okay. does. So a revocable trust, you still own it and you control it. An irrevocable trust is when you control it, but you don't own it. So, who owns it? The trust. The trust owns. So the trust, the trust owns, owns the trust. Own assets. So a trust is just like any other business entity. So when you have something that's inside of an LLC or a corporation, right. that corporation owns those assets. So a trust is just an entity type. 
Okay, okay. That 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 because I feel like um, a lot of people hear the conversation. Because when I never when I first learned about trust, I was confused as shit. I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, yo, this is hella damn confusing. To yes. Because it's a lot, but it's definitely um, necessary. Yes. Because I seen I've been seeing people in the like even prime example my grandfather. My grandfather when he passed away, he had money, but he didn't. He, you know that older generation they don't really think about trust and wills. He ain't have neither. Yeah. So he when he passed away, all his stuff went up to probate. Yeah, and y'all fought for how long in court to and get And never got nothing. Because my, my mom wasn't his biological daughter. Oh. So, nothing. So, yeah. They, so, intest, intestate, which means with dying without a will, there's just like state-level rules. It goes to your wife first, then your kids, then your this and that. So, if the person is a non-blood relative, there's nothing to protect them at all. Yeah. And that's... That's super tragic because you know that the person would have wanted to take care of, you know. You know, you know it. And mm -hmm. these these conversations, I feel like we don't have that. They don't have these conversations too much in our community, for real. For for sure not. And the reason is because people believe that having conversations about death is like dying, which yeah. is like a very strange. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I'm like, it's sort of like the same conversation is like if you get a if you get a prenuptial agreement, that yeah. means you're planning for for divorce. And I'm like, no. Literally, you create all contracts when you are in the best mindset possible. So that, because once you angry, everything is petty. So no, that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. Is you trying to get over on them? Somebody's trying to get yes. over on you. So, so I think that it's super important to not only have conversations about death, succession planning, and all of that, especially for business people, because most people are not financeable because they don't have a succession plan. Let me ask you this, because you, you brought up prenups, so I got to ask this. What do you feel about prenups? Does everybody have one? So, I create trust so that people don't need prenups, but you can get prenups. I think that, like, the conversation should be had, period. Um, Why? Because most people's relationships break down due to uncommunicated expectations. So... If you're not communicating what you expect inside of this marriage or if something is to break down or you decide to break up, like you have kids and all kinds of stuff, you want to know what's going to happen. Like, do you intend to, like, not care about us when you upset? Like, we need to know this in advance. Mm. And um, so I think the conversation should be had. But the trust setup allows you to not need a prenup. Really? Yeah. Because you don't own anything. Because you don't own it. Yeah. So now... Whatever we get together is what we get together. But even still, there's still a lot of people that's kind of like um, turned off by their conversations. Like I know people, I've heard of plenty of people they, when they even bring up the thought of prenuptial anything or having a conversation where it's contractual. If yeah. this happened, they're like, why are we doing that? We You trying to, you, you think it's going to end badly? You know, a lot of people, Yeah. it seems like it's more women based on anything. It seems like dudes generally like. Let's yeah. do this. Let's let's sort this out just in case. Women, it seems like, be like, no, nah, that's kind of bad luck. That's bad, like, juju yeah. on a relationship. Yeah, I think that that's, that's, like, grandparent talk in their ear and their belief system. But, like, a good amount of... I usually laugh at it because most of the guys who I know who are, like, super... I ain't even talking to a girl if we ain't getting a prenup. Pre like, they be so worried about gold diggers while not having enough gold to care. So, like, come on. <laughs> you guys are worried about the wrong thing but at the same time i think that it's super important to know like if you are 
already doing really well, you need to know where people stand in your life. Because some people know how to be purposefully good to you. While things are good. While things are good. And knowing that like, so if a person knows that you were under hugged growing up, then they're going <laughs> to hug you really a lot, right? <laughs> Until they get up, oh, we married now, baby, ain't no hugs for you. <laughs> no, that's really, damn, that's, that's the, that, so do you think like, um, so let's say some people that come in on the same level financially, right? Because mm -hmm. this is also a lot of common thing with people, they're like, we on the same level, we've got the same amount of money, mm -hmm. we don't need a prenup. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's a true statement? Um, I think that same level of money is relative because not everybody's on the same trajectory. So mm. to say like, all right, let's keep all of our things together could be positive or negative. I think most things are situational, but you should still probably have a like, let's build a life together. We're going to have a common set of money that we're going to do things with, and then we'll have separate money. And does that need to be in a contract? Maybe or maybe not. I think it's personal. Well, What's the what's the craziest thing if you you personally seen from somebody not having a trust or bringing up any of that? Um, so the no prenup this happens like at least once a week. A new a new person I meet and they it's mostly men saying how they're having to rebuild their life because they had to give so much in this like divorce that they didn't see coming yep. for one reason or another. Now. The not seeing the divorce coming part, I'm sort of like, yeah. so you just wasn't paying attention. That's what that means. Because yeah. there's no way. Like, there are usually signs. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that happens so often that it, like, has created the, like, turn off of people wanting to be married. Because they're like, if I'm going to be risk, like, this level of risk is too much for me. It's hard. Um, and so... I, I literally watch that happen all the time where they're just like, okay, I'm starting from nothing. Like I have, I have a client and he now just started a new hedge fund. But when he got divorced, he gave his wife all the money and the house and he mm. slept in his car for six months. I know. So, and he's just like, the reason was because I don't want my kid to suffer ever. Right. Ever. I don't want her to see me argue. And I saw the direction it was going with the wives attorney and all that. And like, I was just like, you got it, bro. And left. That's so crazy. I want see that, that made me just think of something. Cause I know somebody too, that, um, they was married for a decade. And, uh, when they got, they got divorced cause he found out she was cheating on him. So he wanted to, well, she wanted a divorce to get with a new guy. Uh -huh. And then, so he lost the house. She got full custody of the kids. And he had to pay child support. Yeah. And he, he started, and he had the, he told me he, like he had a savings and his savings got completely wiped out for lawyer fees yep. and giving her money. So he's like, I'm left assed out with nothing. He said, I don't even got no furniture, like yep. nothing. So I'm like, that's a reason, kind of what you just brought up, but a lot of men these days, they kind of like the risk of marriage is just too high because if it go, if, if she gets her emotions or if I don't want to be with her no more, I'm going to lose everything I got. Yeah. She's going to take everything and I'm going to be left out with nothing and I'm going to have to pay. Like, I understand why a lot of dudes think that way. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I literally listen to both sides of the story where I watch people stay in relationships they don't want to be in because they don't have a financial backup plan or they like like the lifestyle more than they like the person. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> right. But then on the, on the other side of that, just being like, it's cheaper to keep her. 
is yeah. a very normal conversation I hear of business people all the time who are just like, well, yeah, you know, I go sleep with prostitutes because... Hey, that's a whole nother conversation. Whole, right, 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 right. But the but the whole thing being, I'm afraid to make a move towards my happiness because of all of these other ramifications. Right. I've also this is my final thing regarding prenups. I've also heard that prenups can get like practically like thrown out of court. Is that true? Yeah. So a lot of people's prenups get thrown out of court because. You either had them sign it under duress, which happens the most. What does that What does so, that mean, though? Under duress, under duress means under pressure. So, like the weddings today, here's the paper, or we ain't getting married. That's duress. Like you can't do it. But how does they? How do they prove that in court if they got married like five, eight, ten, twenty years before that? Because you signed the date on it. And you know what the date of the marriage is. And so those sorts of things get you thrown out. But the biggest reason that um, that prenup get thrown out is because you didn't disclose all your assets. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's so easy to, like, especially if um, you're trying to move assets into other entities and that sort of thing. So, like, yeah. So that's why I tell people. Get your affairs in order before you get engaged. Because if you do that, you don't have to disclose. It's just no longer on, really? on the table. But, like, if you have assets in your name, you get you get engaged and you are in contemplation of marriage, you now have to disclose what you have before you can move it into a trust. Or it will be like you're hiding the assets. Really? See, yeah. I don't know that. I always, I've, I've always but wondered, like, like, why do they just get... But, like, some states have a very clear line of, um, like, Florida, we, we got some good laws. But one of those laws is everything you had before the marriage is yours exclusively. And then whatever you have moving forward is y'all's it's together. Y'all's. But if you, like, let's say you had a house before and y'all live in the house as a family house, it becomes marital property. But that's an overtime thing. But all that other stuff, like, if you made millions of dollars before that, it's it's not considered marital property. But... Florida got good laws. Not everybody got good laws now. That's wild, yo. <laughs> See, yeah, I, I, I've heard plenty of stories of pre, uh, prenups getting thrown out, of, and I always wonder, like, mm-hmm. how does that, like, what's the point of it? If it's just going to get thrown I didn't know. It, but that makes sense, and though. And then most, every state has its own rules about, like, witnesses and signatures and stuff like that that, like, people sort of ignore, especially because the, I'm going to say in our community, the worst thing that we have is thinking that lawyers are lawyers. What's that mean? Meaning, my homeboy's a lawyer, he's going to do right. the contract, he's going to do the thing for me, but your homeboy is a personal injury attorney. He don't know a <laughs> single thing about family law. Right. And so now that you only have one witness sign and no notary, this could be the thing that makes your contract not valid. Mm. Speaking of lawyers, because I feel like a lot of people, like, they, I remember when I was younger, anytime I heard the word lawyer, in my mind, all I hear is cha-ching. Like, damn, I'm about to pay all this somebody all this damn money. I ain't trying to get no lawyer. So, like, talk about how, like, not only how important it is, but how everyone, because I've seen people get in messed up situations where they can, they was, like, in the right, where they can come up on a check if they went that route. But it's like, well, I don't have, I'm about to hire a lawyer. I ain't got no money. Like, how can, like, normal people that don't make that much get in a position where they could get some um, legal protection or stuff like that? Well, so every state has lawyers that do pro bono, pro bono stuff, so I think that's, like, a huge thing. Never, like, 
but I also live on the fence. It depends on what we're talking about because I tell people all the time. I threaten people all the time you with do? lawsuits. Yes. Why? But for the most part, I mean, they actually did something. Okay. Not just like. I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but what I mean is I, I tell them like, okay, we'll do a cease and desist letter. We will do a demand letter. We will send them. We'll go through all the song and dance around suing people. We're not going to sue them, though, in real life. The reason is because do you care about somebody's credit? Most people don't have capacity to pay the, the lawsuit. lawsuit. So now I have a judgment. Great, you win. It goes on their credit report. Do I care about their credit report? Not at all. I want my money. So if I'm not going to get my money, in I'm not going to use any effort to go after it. But most people are so afraid of the law that yeah. if you demand enough, they'll yeah. just be like, all right, bro, you got it. And they'll just give you the money back or whatever the case. And so I think that like, the strength and the mysticism around the yeah. fear of justice like really works but at the same time like pick and choose your battles sue big companies because they got deep pockets don't sue people because most people don't got the money to pay you and then you'll just end up with like yay cardi b won five million dollars but the lady's like you ain't getting nothing yeah here's so, on ten dollars this is no. what i got i'll I pay you for the rest of my life ten dollars yeah yeah, yeah so. that, that makes sense and this 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 one uh like the final topics I want to speak on, speaking of uh, lawsuits and stuff, can you sue a trust? Yes. But, it, okay. So this is the thing. A good amount of what asset protection is, is about privacy. And so if it's set up properly, it's going to be hard for them to figure out who to sue. What do you mean by set up properly? So, now, this is why I tell people that your trust shouldn't have your name because that's way too easy. Like, oh. So, who name does it have? It just has a name. It's named Exodus Trust. But how do you prove that's you? You don't prove it's you. That's the point. So, like, if, <laughs> if, um, if no one can figure out what you own, there will be no reason to sue you. Like, the likelihood that a trust is going to be sued is pretty low, mainly because the trust assets are private. This is a private document. Nobody knows what it owns. So even if you see, like, already right, owns a, a piece of property, you'll also be able to see that it has a mortgage on it. So then you're like, all right, if that doesn't have sufficient money in, like, the equity of that property, There's no point. should I pursue going yeah. after them any further? Most of the time, unless they find way more properties, which you just shouldn't title it in that way, by the way. But the... um most people won't sue you because lawyers, most of them are working on contingency. So contingency means they take your case. They won't make any money unless you win. Mm -hmm. So they're going to look for all the assets and then be like, nah, you good. We're not doing this. So how do you, when you start, when we talked about setting it up properly, what's those steps like to set, to set it up properly? Because with that being said, it sounds like it's a lot of trust that's just probably not set up properly. Oh, yeah. Most trusts are not set up properly really? because... They do things like you got the Xavier Miller Family Foundation Trust. Like, all right, bro, really? we know you own it. <laughs> and we're going to find out what's in it by what's piecing things together. But, like, I talk about privacy is so important because if I if it takes it takes me 30 seconds to find what most people own where they live where their facts. businesses are registered and all of that like that shouldn't happen and for the wealthiest yes, families in the world you'll never you'll never know what they own because none of their names are in public records period so with that being said when people are looking up this net worth stuff that's all probably cap so net worth 
from a generalistic standpoint is only correct on the people who have large public holdings. So your Bezos, because most of his net worth is in Amazon, Amazon. stock, that's a public company, you can get an idea. Get an idea. But if you think he's more rich than a family in Abu Dhabi, you are confused. They just don't have public holdings. And they like don't care about Having being on your top ten list. Like who cares? Like, what do you get for that? Nothing. <laughs> but harass. But harass. Lawsuits. <laughs> threatened. Blackmail. All that. Exactly. Which is why you want to be the rich neighbor, not the, like, celebrity. So you want to be the rich neighbor of the celebrity who's like, yeah, we don't know what he do. Like, at all. Because it's completely disconnected. The house is owned by a trust. The trustee is a company. So the company's names are disconnected. Just... A, a solid foundation that doesn't allow your name to be in public records. Mm, that's so that's so cold because I feel like that's a that's a huge bar specifically for for our community because you know in the, in the black community when we get money we kind of want we want everybody to know it. Yeah. And I always say like I feel like it's like three phases generally that people go through when they get money. The first one is you want everybody to know. The second one is you really don't care if people know. And the third one is you don't want anybody to know. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like with wealthy families that's like on that level, I feel like, like you just mentioned, I don't think they care or want anyone to know how much they really hold them because like you said, it's going to come with more problems than good. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, the people who they want to do business with already know them and exactly. know their level of success. And then everybody else is just like a vulture looking to get something in investment or steal or sue for one reason or another. So it's literally, I cannot think about three good reasons to tell people how much money you make besides it being for the purpose of saying like, expect more, want more, desire more, be exposed to more, have higher expectations. Other than that, I literally cannot see a reason to do it. It's not. You're right. You could. I can think of way more reasons why to not do it <laughs> exactly. than to actually do it. And it took me a while to learn that. You know, when I first yeah. started making good money, I was always, I made this this month or this yeah. year. And then I thought, well, I'm like, yo, why am I doing this? This is, and my mom used to always tell me from day one, she, you know, my mom from the trenches, West House College, she's like, Zay, what's wrong? why are you doing this? Right. Like, you need to stop. Like, don't you know everybody can see, like, what you're talking I'm like, mom, good. Ain't nothing going to happen to me. Everybody can see what you're doing. 30-second Google search, we know where you live. Wait. Two seconds on the internet, I know where you at. <laughs> so I know what you drive. Yeah. So you're putting yourself in the position to literally be a target for absolutely no, no reason. reason. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's no, it's no reason at all. Like, that's crazy. But <laughs> I think that we should have money conversations, but I don't think it should be so specific to the you individual. and what you're doing Personal individually. Doing. Exactly. And how, you know how that looks on a day-to-day -day basis because it definitely puts a target on your back for absolutely no reason. Yeah, and you don't and you don't see, like, I, I, I've been doing this for a while and I've been positioned to meet a lot of extremely wealthy people. I haven't met one that's just like, unless like private one-on-one -on -one conversation, they like, yeah, you know, they're not, they not flexing or anything. They just tell yeah. them like, yeah, I did, da, 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 the company did yeah. X hundreds of millions last year. It's like, damn, but... As far as publicly on a platform or group settings, they're not like, yeah. By the way, I did twenty million. That's yeah. not a conversation. So I'm like, when I when I start piecing that together and getting more mature, I'm like, 
I'm not fucking talking. That don't even make sense for me to be online talking about how much money I made. It's just, it's just a foolish kind of thing for real. Exactly. <laughs> and even like I, I always laugh because people are always trying to like humble others and tell them yeah. like to not like, oh, rich people don't wear X, Y or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. it's it's never been about that. Facts. They probably not going to wear the monogram T-shirt because like, That's why would you give free advertising to someone else? But. Yeah, if you walk through Bloomingdale long enough, you knew that you knew that that um all black sweater that Steve Jobs wore was nine hundred dollars. Like, this is not baby games clothes, but at the same time, it's not about the cost. It's about the quality about the and quality. all that kind of stuff. Experience. And exper- experience yeah. huge, but also understanding that things like fast fashion are ruining the environment. It is. So, you know, I get it. Y'all think y'all cute fashion over, but at the same time, you wear it twice, you throw it in the trash. Right. It's so many things that, go, that goes into it. And you just like, man, and I am a little bit old. So I always say how like, I've literally got clothes, shoes, bags that are older than some Somewhere. of these kids who are like flexing on how many outfits they can buy at Sheen for XYZ amount of time. I'm like, yeah, but if you can only keep it for a year, it it's not worth it. No, you you're not lying. Like you like people do always say, well wealthy people not spending on this. It's like but they spend a lot. It's just it's probably not as as um gaudy as you would think. Cause I was recently I was at a hotel, it was a super it was like a super nice hotel. I'm not gonna say the name of it. And I met the developer of the hotel. Mm-hmm. He we just started we just started talking. And then he's older. He's like 65 probably. And he's like walking around introducing me to everybody and stuff. And then he's like, yeah, man, you know, he's like, by the way, it's like, you know, this is like a low-key spot. He's like, you know, it's like four billionaires in here right now because we like in the bar area. Yeah. I just look around. Everybody playing Jane, but the whole, the environment, it's 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 an extremely expensive hotel. So I'm like, that's another way that people got to get this idea that, like, wealthy people don't spend their money. They do. They just don't spend it like you do. Yeah, They're yeah. not going to the Louis store buying shirts that say <laughs> Louis across. They still spend it way more than you think, though. But it's Man. on experiences for the most part. Exactly. Like, I had no idea. Like, so the one good part about running track, right, is that you get to travel the world business me. class, right? But for me, I didn't know how much business class tickets cost because I have they, – your agent is booking it, the yep. meet is booking it, whatever. And then, like, the first time I, like, oh, no, I'm about to use my points to upgrade because there is no way I'm paying to pay, pay this much to fly the same flight, and I ain't tall or anything. So, like, I literally don't have a reason to be in business class, even though I prefer it because of the conversations that I have with the people who are sitting next to me. But if I have a 5 a.m. flight, baby, I'm sitting in the back. Right. Because right. I'm not talking to nobody Hoodie and ain't nobody on. talking to me. Facts. On to, <laughs> man, this was a great conversation. And, and this, before we wrap up, I just want to say, uh, first of all, I appreciate you coming on the show. I've been, this has been long overdue. We got to do this again. I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about that's going to even get more people game and blow their minds and all that. Before I let you go, the, my final question is, what are the... Um, What's your top three books? Because people always ask this question. They want to know if somebody like you has learned and all mm-hmm. these things. So what would you say is your top three books? Ooh, okay. So number one, How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour by Les Leopold. That sounds fire. Number two, The King of Capital. That's about Steve Schwartzman and him creating um, Steve Schwar- and, uh, Blackstone. Yeah. And then number three, I just read, I just finished, um, is The 12-Week Year, uh, which is about... about 
complete efficiency and like how to keep yourself motivated to like reach your goals and be very intentional about each day and each week. And um, so I'm incorporating that this year into my mortgage company. I like uh, we already started talking about it because we've sort of been on this like stagnancy, which is good. We've been in business for a long time since 2012, but. I'm like, we're going to do a billion dollars in loans this year. And it's going to be on the back of like everybody thinking, oh, interest rates are so high, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, but people still need money. They're still doing deals. They're still building buildings. They're still going to be, they're still going to be commerce. Maybe they're not doing it with you. So we have to make sure that we're intentional and like our 12 week year is got to be like, okay, how many, how many deals do we have on the board? Who's out making conversations? Am I doing enough speaking and, and engaging with the people who are doing deals? Because we prefer to work with the people who do volume versus mm-hmm. like one-offs. I really don't work with a lot of like residential purchases anymore. We focus on investors. But That's I mean, smart. we still have the ability to do those. But, you know, one person with one house versus like the people who are flipping hundreds Good of houses house. or building a $100 million building, we prefer uh to spend our effort uh bringing in those clients okay and like i said we definitely gonna do this again because i like i like bringing people on multiple times because the conversation just gets better after the familiarity and the relationships getting built the conversation the content it gets better and better so we definitely gonna do this again but before i let you go plug in all your stuff where people can find you follow you everything you got going on Okay, so the best and easiest way to contact me or follow me is on Instagram. I'm Lala Hurdles too. On Twitter, um, I'm Idolette, which is my last name. I'm very active on LinkedIn. You just have to fi- follow my name. And if you really want, you need something like you're looking for a loan, you're looking for a reference, you're looking for a mentor, you're looking for something, LinkedIn is the way- place that I actually respond to most of my own messages. And then, um, I'm working on something at the moment to help people with my pillars around wealth preservation and stuff. It'll be my first time doing anything digital whatsoever. I kind of thought it was fugazi before. (laughs) So, um, but now that it's getting a little thinner where people are like, all right, not every single person is a coach. Not every single person is a guru. Um, I I am um, exploring doing a mentorship program and teaching people more about how to use trust, how to set up their businesses, how to stay private and how to be an abundant giver. I love that. And listeners, watchers, y'all heard it. Make sure y'all tap in, follow her on all platforms, because she has extremely a lot of value. And wrapping up, y'all can find me on all platforms. I'm at the official Xavier Miller. And you can find the Millionaire Mindsets platform. That's YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, everywhere you can find us. And that's all I got for this episode on the Millionaire Mindsets podcast. See you guys next episode. Peace. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody voucher Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant